Terrible. Take a lap. God awful. Get going. What an idiot. I can't even play the right theme to the beginning of our show. I should be taking a lap. Let's see if I can get this right. Now that I got that right, welcome to the Goal Line Stand. All football, all the time. A Sports Talk Philly partner, presented as always by Michael's Glass Company, coming to you from the Michael's Glass Company studio. Answer the phone, goddammit. Michael's Glass Company, 215-338-3293. Tell them Mike and Brett sent you. I'm Michael Lipinski, joined as always by Brett Halpern. And what is it? A fa- we got a fax machine going on there? No, nah, it was the house line. You know how when you get internet, they give you a house line, and yeah, so yeah, a person calls that number maybe once every three months, and it just so happened to be right now. Oh, okay. I maybe I mean, it's maybe it's our top fan. It, maybe it maybe it is our top fan. Breaking news coming Monday morning, eight a.m. right here on the goal line stand. Our, the first of our super fan series, license plate guy Joe Ruback. You joined joined you. You guys had a conversation. I'm really looking forward to that. It was really awesome. I have to thank Joe. A lot of fun. You know, honestly, yeah. Look, it was very giant centric. But if you're a football fan, you will appreciate it. Uh, we talk about Joe talks about some of his other favorite football venues. He does talk about what it's like to be the most recognizable giant fan when you're going to an Eagles game. Um, he also showed me his new Jersey that he's going to be wearing for uh, the giants Eagle game in Philly. And God bless. I told him he's going to need a shoulder pad and helmets. That's I all guess I'm going to say, I guess he has to get rid of the super bowl zero Jersey. Right. So that's been well, mothballed for a while. Well, you know, so, to his credit, and this is something we talk about a lot during the interview, and I, I've always appreciated with him. Joe is very involved with a lot of charities. And, you know, so that jersey he had where he poked fun at the Eagles for at the time not winning a Super Bowl, they raised money. He raised $10,000 for some an Eagles fan to purchase that and burn it, and they made like a video of it. I was going to say, didn't he, uh, he, he did something with, uh, one of the Eagles super fans. Didn't I, I'm trying to, I don't remember which one it was and maybe I'll yeah. have to track down that fan and get that one to do the reverse conversation. But license plate guy is joining the program Monday, 8 AM. Look for it on all of our Twitter. That's at GL stand show at GLS underscore giants, where our giants specific content lives. Uh, what we got coming up here. On the program as a whole, we're going to be doing our three-round mock draft. We are going to have a draft recap. Today, we are going to be discussing Brett's defensive rankings and some of the news and notes around the world of professional football. Uh, Let's start off, though. Let's start off in Buffalo, in Buffalo, New York, if we may. Marv Levy is now a two-time, two-time Hall of Famer. He, He double dipped. 
He did double dip. I didn't realize that Marv Levy was the coach of the Montreal Alouettes. So Mont, everyone knows Marv Levy, obviously from the Buffalo Bills. Marv yeah. Levy coached the, the Alouettes for five seasons and won the 1974 and 77 Grey Cup. He has been elected. I don't know what took them so long to the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame. Yeah, seriously. Like, what are you waiting on? Yeah, I and this is see, here's gonna this is where I'm gonna go on one of my Hall of Fame rants. Okay, you've been I know, to, I know exactly where you're you've going. You've been to okay. Canton, Ohio. I've been to Canton, Ohio. I've been yeah. in that building, and right out front it says professional football hall of fame. Well, yeah. guess what? Canada plays professional football. It's all one and the same. If it's the National Football League Hall of Fame, call it the National Football League Hall of Fame. It pisses me off. It's it they someone obviously when they first opened it in the 70s overlooked that. It should be the National Football League Hall of Fame. I guess at the a time, right? I, without looking to see when it was open, you still had the AFL either in existence or just after the merger. So I guess that's why you're calling it professional football. But the Canadian League was around for a long, long time. Now, it might not be around for much longer, which we'll have a conversation on another show. But nonetheless, that's my rant for the day. Well, so I think the other reason might be because they inducted players who played solely in the AFL or even further back players who played in the uh, All-American Football Conference. You think about, like, Marion Motley really didn't play many years as a Cleveland Brown in the NFL. He really made his name in the AAFC. So, I, but either way, it should just be the NFL Hall of Fame because the NFL, those leagues merged with the NFL. So, right. I, so I, I, I'm, you know, normally when you go on your rants, I think you're crazy. This one, I'm, you know, all I'm in complete agreement with you. Only two other members of the NFL and CFL Hall of Fame that are two guys that are in both, Bud Grant and the great Warren Moon. Warren Moon, who made number one look good as a quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, let's see if Jalen Hurts can do the same. I don't know. To be determined. To be determined. Sticking in Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo, now this is a party that I would be very interested in going to. So the Buffalo Bills have announced full, they will have full attendance for their games in the fall with a massive, massive asterisk attached to, attached to it, bigger than Barry Bond's head. And the asterisk is you have to have a COVID vaccination or proof thereof. So I guess this is this whole vaccine passport thing uh, to go to the game. Obviously, very controversial. It, it, we don't have to get into the politics and the science of the, the vaccine and, and all this, but what do you think? Is this going to become the norm? I happen to think it is. Yeah, I think it's going to be the norm. The, no, there's no such thing as the norm, but there is something as the norm, and that's what it's going to be. Um, yeah, as you alluded to, the vaccine passports, there are a number of companies, tech companies, that are going to be starting various platforms so that you could sort of just load your information and it's something that it's going to show up right on your phone and, and you'll be able to scan it right through with uh you know at the ticket counter or whatever the gate it's going to be like it's just going to be the the way of the world at it for the next couple of years whether it's right whether it's wrong I, I don't know that's up for debate 
uh, you know, I got mine, you got yours. It was a, it was a choice. If someone doesn't want to get it, I don't have a problem with them not getting it either. That's, that's your decision. But needless to say, Buffalo is the first, they, they have taken the first leap, uh, so to speak, through the flaming table in the National Football League, say that they're going to have it. Now, I wonder if Bill's Mafia, how they're going to react to this. Are they going to throw a fit or are they going to have themselves a good old vaccination party? Because if they have themselves a vaccination party, I want in on it. Well, I, I, I wonder because I already have the shot. I, I wonder if the league taking this stance and then perhaps other professional sports leagues will, will in a way force or convince people who are on the fence to actually get the vaccine. It's going to be not just the NFL. It's going to be not other sports travel. For example, is going to be another thing. You won't be able to travel internationally without it. So, uh, look, that's... I think Hawaii wants to institute it as well. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be... It, it's a topic to to follow and pay attention to. I'm sure there will be a, lots of litigation around it. That's for another another podcast that we're not... That we don't do. Yeah, but don't worry. You can still attend all UFC events. That is, free. that is true. And you can listen to all UFC coverage on in the fight in the fight show on Sportinarium Radio drops every Thursday uh, this week Zach Mesner joins the program to talk some boxing and immediately following the regular program is our WrestleMania conversation on WrestleMania 37 review uh, on Sportinarium Radio as well available in podcast form wherever you find podcasts uh, let's stick with the off season and covid related issues this is interesting, and I, I this is, I think this kind of uh, couples with the world here. The NFLPA is encouraging players to stay home and not report for any voluntary workouts. Uh, are they telling them just stay home, or we're really fighting for the virtual workout now? I think they're fighting for the virtual workout. Um, I, now, obviously, the league the league has put forth some kind of protocol. To which the NFLPA doesn't think it is enough, far-reaching enough. I guess my only argument would be, if I'm an NFL player, now, not that they're necessarily going to Planet Fitness all the time. They're going to specialized gyms when they're working out in the offseason. But if you're going to the team's facility, I would think, for the most part, that's going to be a place that is safer than most regular facilities. Um, and as part of that, you know, the NFL is mandating that all team employees, so um, front office people, administrative staff, secretarial staff, anyone in the building who's not, you know how they, for last year, they created tiers. So tier one is like people essential that have contact with the team. If you do, unless you have a religious or medical reason not to get the vaccine, you're mandated to get the, you have to get the vaccine, otherwise, you cannot go with anywhere near the players, which I also I think that also demonstrates they're trying to create a safe work environment for the players. Now, the NFLPA is encouraging players not to report for obviously for the mini camps, right? The post draft yeah. mini camps, all that stuff. Are they telling them to stay away from the facility as a whole, or 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 no? Like, hey, I, I still want to go to Novacare and get a workout in and grab lunch. No, we don't want you doing that either. Go find, you know, go up to 
wherever in Northeast Philly and, and run hills. It seems more like what you're saying, just stay away in it's in the entirety until there is a mandatory workout. And the first mandatory would be a mini camp. So what is the end game here for the NFLPA? There's always a reason, right? You don't just do this to do this. What are they angling for here? What what's the rumor or innuendo uh, of what they're angling for? I think you know, just like there's going to be so many different facets of society that have changed because of the pandemic at, you know, once we get past this, I think this is the NFLPA's attempt to sort of institute a virtual offseason even after the pandemic. Because if you think about it, the workout, what was the saying? It was always a voluntary workout, and everyone used to put the air quotes around voluntary. It was Dr. voluntary. E- it was Dr. Voluntary. Evil style. It was yeah. voluntary mandatory. Yeah. So, so I think now. High school kids, when we would have our Tuesday, Thursday voluntary captain's practice, your yeah. voluntary mandatory captain's practice, where the coach would watch from the hill. Exactly. So I think that they are using the pandemic to try and institute some change, some, you know, some change here and try to get that virtual because I think what, for the most part, the pan last year showed was guys were generally in shape, you know? So if they're able to do it on their own, why, why do you have to make it? Why does it have to be that stigma of voluntary mandatory? No, I, I I get the point there. And if I'm the NFLPA, especially with the 17th game coming to pass, obviously yeah. there was an agreement there. Maybe that's where I say, look, you're going to get an additional game. You're going to get players playing an additional regular season game. Give us this. Give us this to where they're only showing up for the mandatory mini camps and then uh, therefore it, the um, training camp. If a player lives up in North Jersey and they want to go to Florham Park if they're a jet or they want to go to the Meadowlands if they're a giant or they live right there at at, at, at NovaCare and they want to go, go, go work out. It's your own thing. But, yeah. you know, they don't have to. You can't find them. You can't do anything to hold them back from, I don't know, starting, whatever. Yeah, and if I were the owners, you know, honestly, I think I might give in on this one because – Yes, we're going to 17 games, but 18 games is coming soon. The 17 yeah. game era is not going to be a big era. No, it's not going to be. It's it, going to be three or four years. That's it's it. Not, as the NFL stands for, not for long. It won't be for long. It'll go to 18. Uh, interestingly enough, the Broncos, Seahawks, Bucks, Patriots, Lions have all voiced their opposition to the NFLPA doing this. So now there's going to be a battle coming up. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, like everything else between the union and the owners. Uh, this is just the next battleground. It's the way it works. A little update on Deshaun Watson, and I'm bringing it up now because their rumors are still floating around that the Philadelphia Eagles are keeping an eye on the Deshaun Watson situation. First off, let me let me lay that out there. The Eagles are keeping – what the hell are you keeping an eye on? This would be an absolute epic disaster from the Philadelphia Eagles standpoint to bring this guy in. Now, I'm not saying he's guilty of anything. This whole situation is really, to me, it's very bizarre. I, I, I don't know what what happened here. You have the allegations that he was that there was miss that there was sexual uh, assaults. You have some people coming out saying, "No, no, no, this was the deal." You know. Uh, uh, 
massage and a date, I guess. I don't know. The judge has ruled that all the plaintiffs are will be required to reveal their identity. So that's interesting. Yeah. What's your take on that from a legal perspective? Well, so there's something that I mentioned uh, last week. In Texas, there is... I, I, now, I haven't looked... I haven't done the research to, to see if it's solely in civil matters or criminal or civil and criminal matters, but it is up to the discretion of the court for a plaintiff they could to reveal their identity. I don't know. To me, you know, there's such things called like rape shield laws, which is that you want to protect the identity of the plaintiff, you know, the, the person who was the victim, the alleged victim of rape. This goes, this flies against all of those public policy reasons. But having said that, the reason is, I, you know, I think they're trying to encourage settlement. That's the whole purpose of sort of revealing their identity because you don't want them out there. Plus there's the uh, confrontation clause in the Bill of Rights. There's, it, there's elements to that, I think, at play. It, it, it's, it's a very weird thing. And of course it's Texas. So it's a lot going on there. Um, but it should, but it did have the one result of one of the plaintiffs uh, just dismissed their case. Yeah, see, and, and this is the thing. I'm not, uh, by no means am I saying that he is completely innocent and did nothing wrong and that he is being extorted here. But but the whole the whole thing is, obviously he's admitted to it, so he's done it, right? He, the, the consensual yeah. uh, contact. This whole thing, it... I still, to me, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, although I've watched episodes of shows on HBO where my mind is now, you know, blown uh, in, a, in a way of people are morons. But this almost seems like, if I could put my green hat on for a second, that the Texans are somehow involved in this. Like, are they snooping around or is that just two sports radio shtick? It, but it... What would the Texans have to gain from devaluing Deshaun Watson? It's the Texans. Who the hell knows? They would have nothing to gain from it, really. But the whole thing is just weird. When you look back at the connections to the 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 the, the you know the the guy that's the attorney for some of these women is the friend of the owner, and and he and it's just really weird. Yeah, you know, and then I was also reading a little bit more this morning about the case, about the initial discussions when the – so remember there was like four plaintiffs at first, and then it ballooned to 22, then it went down to 21. Now it's another lady, another woman has uh, filed a lawsuit, so it's actually back up to 22. And initially when it was four, the, the, the plaintiff's attorney – uh, reached out to Deshaun Watson's agent and said, look, for, for one of the cases, settle for $100,000. And that is what Deshaun Watson's attorney is citing as the, the, you know, the extortion plot, which is really, it was just a good faith settlement negotiation. And, you know, idiotically, Deshaun Watson's agents at the time said, no, come back with another number. And you don't do, that's not how a, nego a settlement negotiation is going to work for anyone that's in good faith. So, you know, it really screwed up a lot 
of things, and I think it further escalated the matter. And, you know, maybe these women would have felt made whole with, with a little bit of money. I mean, sometimes that, that happens. So, I, I don't know. It is, it's bad. Now you have women talking to the cops. This is bad. Right. So this is going to be interesting, and I think that's why at this juncture you don't have Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's exempt list. Uh, I think once there is some legal, if there is any legal action, if there is any investigation open in that end, officially, uh, I think that is the point at which he would get placed on the list. Well, I, no, there I, is an official investigation. Right, but I, I should I should say more than an investigation. If there's charges that are going to be brought forth, that type of thing. Uh Aaron Donald's under an investigation for for beating a guy up in Pittsburgh, and, and you know I, there's pictures floating around of that he's not on a commissioner's list. But I think if anything illegal were to happen, an arrest, then obviously it moves in that direction. Yeah, it's either way, it's a problem. And as relates to the Eagles, they got to stay far away from this guy. I don't care. Look, look I, I don't care about the on field non uh, element of this. You can't have this around your organization. Your organization is already screwed. The article that came out in the Athletic has just put out a you know it's a Howie Roseman it's a Howie Roseman uh, Jeffrey Lurie tag team here of just let's run this thing into the ground. Why would you bring this guy in? Well, but the first thing I was going to say is you can't do anything until a these lawsuits are settled or have come to some form of a conclusion and b that the harris harris county texas uh sheriff's department says that all is clear because you just you couldn't make that kind of trade for someone and then know that he's going to get arrested for sexual assault right he's gonna get he's gonna get suspended for a year he's or a minimum oh, a few games easily uh, absolutely right? And then, you know, he could be doing time. So I don't, then either way, let's say all of those things pan out. Do you really want to deal with the PR nightmare of, of acquiring the guy? I don't know. I no, mean, you, I, did, it, you did it once with Michael Vick. I, different I'm, not getting into, I, I'm not getting into the whole dog fighting. Right. Different situation, different, different situation. Yeah, different time. Uh, I, you it's, don't, yeah. Well, yeah, there was the social media back. There was social media. There's Twitter, Instagram, or Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff when he was signed. It was really not what it was. I remember finding out of the Michael Vick signing by Merrill Reese announcing it on a preseason game. Like, oh, uh, this just happened. Yeah. But the Eagles have more issues than than just fixing the quarterback. Yeah, this is they're not a quarterback away from anything. Article came out on The Athletic, Shield Kapadia, Bo Wolf, Zach Berman. The headline, Paranoia, Mismanagement, and Office Politics Inside the Eagles' Downfall Under Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. Uh, this was a well-done, well-researched, I don't want to call it hit piece, but this really shows... It's an expose. It was Yeah, it was an expose on what I think everybody kind of thought was going on in the Eagles organization, and in reality, it's much worse. Uh, I think the general belief was that there's Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman is the problem. After reading this article and, and listening to some interviews, you, you know, I, I'm not really sure. It sounds like there's multiple factions here. 
It, you know, and factions don't always equal ratings. You're talking Howie Roseman has a draft board. Jeffrey Lurie watches film and picks draft guys. There's Jeffrey Lurie's son's buddy from Harvard who is running the analytics department who now has a say. The scouts don't know what is going on. You know, at this point, they might as well just go out in the parking lot at Broad and Patterson, throw some you know rocks down, and draw patterns. Yeah, you know, this is um, this is highly problematic, and I know it was such a big deal that there were several articles by some of the other publications, major uh, pu- uh, publications in Philadelphia, that summarized it. Because obviously the athletic is behind a paywall, and basically all of them were summarized it by saying, "How did the Eagles win a Super Bowl?" And the way in which Doug Peterson was treated, both leading up to the Super Bowl, then afterwards, like this guy won a Super Bowl for you, and you're treating him like a child, and not even a child, like like a troubled child. It it it, it makes no sense. So what you're getting at here is in the story by these guys, by The Athletic, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman would have essentially an inquisition every Tuesday morning with Doug Peterson and this analytics guy, Alec Hallaby, smart guy, obviously Harvard guy, son of Jeffrey Lurie's, a friend of Jeffrey Lurie's son. And they, they would look at the analytics of why the Eagles ran the ball here uh there is they cite specifically the a 2019 game in green bay where i can specifically remember this thinking yeah man the eagles just went ground and pound and ended yeah. up beating the packers and everyone in philadelphia sports radio was like this is great the eagles need to run, the eagles needed to run the ball more that's a great adjustment by doug well apparently this analytics doofus and howie roseman and jeffrey laurie yeah, they didn't like it so much. If I were, if, and, and they and they nitpicked everything that Doug Peterson did, I, I can I can only imagine the stress. Look, I worked for an individual who nitpicked everything. He told me to do something, I did it. When I when when I said here, I did it the way you wanted me to do it. Well, it wasn't good enough. Oh, okay, well, you know what? Fuck you. You're an idiot. I don't know what to tell you then. That's why you're going to run your goddamn company into the ground. Now, maybe just maybe. That's what the Eagles have here. This is not a good look. No, th- this actually reminds me of a story my father once told me. Of uh, for the, I played at Cherry Hill East High School um, when I was a high school student. We were not very good, um, as most high school programs do. Uh, on Monday or Tuesday night, the booster club will get together and watch the game film with the head coach. And my junior year, we were one and nine. We were terrible. And there was one parent who will remain nameless, who supposedly every week kept asking and then started literally yelling towards the end of the season, how come we didn't run the flea flicker? Because that was going to be the answer to all our problems. And it, like just the level of ridiculousness, ridiculousness that that was, my father used to come home laughing about it. And that's what this sounds like. And this is an NF, a pro football organization that is not far off, not far removed from the Super Bowl. They, they that's, won. The that's Super what I Bowl. is. It's crazy. They won the it, Super Bowl despite all of this. I mean, this tells you how. 
and I'll come back to the fact that there's certain guys that are no longer in that locker room, Malcolm Jenkins, that held this team together. They were glue guys. And for whatever reason, you know, they were able to get done what they needed to get done. Jeffrey Laurie, this an- analytics, I we can talk about it at length at, a, at another time. I'm a baseball guy, right? I'm sorry. Sometimes it's just how you hit the ball, how you catch the ball, and how you field the ball, right? Yeah, it, it, it's playing the game the way it's meant to be played. I got a runner on second base. I need a run, and I, I know the guy behind me can drive a few runs in. Why well, I just move the guy over to third with a bunt? Well, you know, the computer says that if it's a fastball on the outside corner with a diameter of this and and, and a thing of that, and it, enough of it. It, it. A game is meant to be played within the lines. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie hires Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. I'm going to make up a website and go try and get myself a job. I don't know if he's a good guy, bad guy. I've never even heard of him until this article. I, I think that there is a place for analytics, but I think it has to be a, a component to the overall analysis and decision-making process. The analytics, to me, as a former coach many moons ago of football, it's like self-scouting, right? You're going to set self-scout yourself, and you're going to figure out, well, we run 75% of the time on first down. Maybe we're then going to change up what we do. Analytics is fine pregame, no problem pregame to say, oh, this is what we got. You know, what do you what do you guys see? But this this scenario that was laid out by Capadia, Wolf, and Berman was that the decisions were being made from above. This is this is Madden football. This yeah. is John Madden football in real in real life. Yeah, that's a problem. You have to let you. I, I understand. You know assembling a team using analytics and assembling a game plan. But once the game plan is established, you let the coaches coach. And that's what you pay them for. That's what you pay them a lot of money for. That's what you, you, you hire Chip Kelly. You paid Chip Kelly to go away. You paid Doug Peterson a lot of money. Same thing. You're paying for him not to be there. Uh, it, it, it is, it is wild. Uh, I mean, the connections to the draft issues, I really did blame a lot of this on Howie Roseman. This article, while it doesn't really show that Howie it doesn't show Howie Roseman in a great light, I don't think the issue is as much Howie Roseman as as everybody else. It, it, it's um, it's a quagmire. It's it's just a lot going on, and, and it's it's a lot of negative from a lot of different angles. That's the problem. Absolutely, and the other, and I think the biggest thing is is usually when a story like this comes out. You get these types of stories. There's always someone coming out and, and trying to douse water on the flame. You have not really heard that. The only person that I have heard kind of poo-poo this was Adam Schefter on e- on 97.5 The Fanatic. But other than that, there is no one's – it's almost like people are sitting there with their jaws like on, on the table like, holy crap, what just happened here? Yeah. Isn't it funny? So, you know, here we are in the whole – you know, one of the premises of our show was, you know, an Eagles fan and a Giants fan getting together to talk football. Obviously, two very close friends. And, you know, we both complain about our front offices. And it's like there's there's schmuckdom and there's putsy behavior. But with the Giants, it's centralized with one guy. 
with the Eagles, it's all over the place. It's it's just it's funny how you can get incredibly shitty decisions in in different manners. And the Giants and the Eagles are representing the two sides of that spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it is amazing. This is where this is going to be something to keep our eye on. Has Gettleman done anything stupid lately? Give it time. The draft is coming. I know the draft is. <laughs> He's <coming> warming up. <laughs> that is a very good segue. Go back and listen to Brett's episode last week on the NFL draft prospects from the offensive side of the football. Uh, you asked me off air if, if I had any issues. Uh, no, but you know the one guy I'm interested in, and I'm blanking on his name now. The, the tackle, uh, excuse me, the center from Wisconsin Whitewater. Quinn Miners. Yes. So I heard him on NFL radio. Uh, the story is really interesting. Obviously, everyone's going to say, oh, Wisconsin Whitewater. Where is that? Well, they're a D3 school. They're it's, a D3 powerhouse. It's in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Yeah, Whitewater, Wisconsin. And he ends up playing in the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Breaks his hand. Yeah. Still plays in the Senior Bowl. I mean, this is a, this is, he's a real tough guy. Animal. Yeah. Where... I've seen him projected kind of like all over the board. You have him as what the third best center? Um, yeah. If if you count Landon Dickerson as a center, which you, you probably should, he would be the third best center. Third best center, fourth best overall interior offensive lineman. Where I, a lot of a lot of of experts, NFL radio was doing it yesterday. Have have him in like in the third round. Where do you really see him going? I see him going anywhere between the second and the third. He's not getting out of the third. So so interesting. I mean, it, he's an interesting prospect that I, I'd like to keep an eye on. I always like those guys, you know, yeah. that, that go play at a school like that. I mean, obviously, your Mountain Unions, your Wisconsin Whitewaters, they're different animals when it comes to D3 football. You know, yeah. they're not Kane University. But we well, don't know how that grilled cheese is. Oh, I'll tell you what. Oh, I don't know how it is anymore, but look, if you are a recruit, if you are a college recruit, take word of advice here. Do not pick the school of choice based on the grilled cheese sandwich, although it was very good. Yeah, or the uh, the F and Science building. Yeah, or the F and Science building. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, you told me to remind you. Yes. So I literally just read this this morning and I wanted to run it by and discuss it with you. There was apparently a big article out on Sports Illustrated about Trevor Lawrence. And some of the big takeaways were they kept, you know, he's in his, uh, by the way, congrats to him. He just recently got married. They interviewed his now wife, his father. Um, and they basically paint him as being a very carefree guy who doesn't necessarily, he, he, you know, the, the foot, that life is more than just football. And apparently someone had interviewed his high school coach and said, yeah, he's not a guy who's going to do, who, it's not life and death if he ever wins a Super Bowl. And it, it, it kind of gives you a little pause. So, and, and this is an age-old debate, which is, if a guy has other interests, if he has other passions, does that make him less of a prospect or less of a good football player? Or does that maybe make him better? Because it, it just shows that you're able to think in, in different levels of analysis. I See, I'd really, yeah, I'd really like – this is one of those things you read a story, read interviews. What, what does it mean? Is, is he just like – is he a bro? 
is, is he just cool? Is he surfer cool? You know, he has got the long hair and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That's different. Is he still a gamer? Like, that's what I want to know. Is he a guy? Yeah, it's not life and death. See, that scares me a little bit when you have a coach saying that because yeah. not, not that I want my quarterback to fall on the sword all the time and everything's life and death. They have to, there has to be a certain element of a competitive juice. You don't want to lose. You just, you, you don't, you want a dog. Yeah. You don't want to just a guy that's going to be there to be there because he can throw the ball because he's an athletic freak. Cause then he's yeah. never going to be bought in. And then for, for his high school head coach, and by the way, it is in that guy's interest for Trevor Lawrence to do as well as possible because, I mean, you're running a big program down in Georgia, I believe, Cartersville, Georgia, I believe, and you're always going to be able to sell. Yeah, I had the number one pick in the draft, a, you know, a perennial all-pro if he works out to the way everyone thinks. And for, But for him to say that, it, it makes it shows that, he, that Trevor Lawrence left an impression on him that is it, is it just Dabo there's a certain Sweeney, level he won't go to. Was Dabo Sweeney interviewed here in this article? I've no, read. But, but you got a college coach is is always going to paint the unless they're like a complete animal like DeAndre Baker was for the uh, when literally the Georgia coaching staff told DeAndre Baker don't come back to campus. And the Giants still traded up to get him in the first round. But anyways, like D- Dabo Sweeney is not going to say anything negative. The same way Ryan Day is not going to say anything negative about Justin Fields as he slightly falls. You know, he's going to be the 10th pick as opposed to the second. I mean, I would be interested. This is where this whole non-interview thing and the, the no combine yeah. kind of uh, affects everything because you have the interviews in the combine. And stuff comes out more when that when you have those interviews. Yeah, it is a little concerning to me. Uh, now, yeah. is there not a good relationship? I mean, you didn't hear any of this, right? You didn't hear any of this when he was at Clemson. No, and, and you heard that he wanted to play right right after the COVID thing and, yeah. and and the Notre Dame game. I think he was wanted to find a way to be cleared, and and, and they couldn't figure they couldn't do it because of the procedure. That yeah. shows me he wants to be there. I don't know. To me, I go back to the year prior in the semifinals against Ohio State. He got nailed with Chase Young and the entire Ohio State D-line. And everyone's like, oh, he's out. He came back two plays later, and then he had the 66-yard touchdown run and brought him back to beat Ohio State. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily add up to to what his high school head coach said. But nevertheless, I just I found it interesting. I wanted to, you know, I definitely wanted to bring it to your attention. Uh, draft time. It's a fun time when all this stuff comes out. Uh, yeah. Let's get to the main event of the uh, of the evening here. The defensive draft prospects, your rankings of the defensive draft prospects. We'll start from the outside in on the line. So defensive ends, edge rushers, D tackles, linebackers. And then we'll go back uh, to our cornerbacks and our safeties. Sounds let's good. Get, let's get to it. Uh, DNs and edge rushers. All right. My number one DN slash edge is Jalen Phillips for Miami. 6'5", 256. Ran a 4'5", 40-yard dash. He was a top recruit coming out of high school. Went to UCLA. 
flashed really good potential, but then ended up having to medically retire because of concussions. Then unretires, comes back into football, transfers to Miami. So in 2019, when he's a red shirts at Miami, he only weighed about 215 pounds because he had just stopped going to the gym, completely transforms his body and had a tremendous 2020 eight sacks, 15 and a half tackles for loss. He to me is the most prototypical and polished uh, of what I would call like the four, three classic defensive end rush guy. Think of uh, the New York giants during the, the most recent Super Bowl runs. When you had the four DN, he's like a Justin tuck, uh, a Jason Pierre Paul, you know, is very good, has really good motor, fundamentally sound, very polished with the pass rush moves. Has to improve against the run a little bit, but I mean, see, you know, that that's an amazing skill set. And also, I mean, that that size and speed, I love it. So he is number one. Uh, number two is Quiddy oh, Pay. Oh, real, yeah. real, real quick on, on him how much of a concern is the head? We live in a world where concussions are a problem. And time permitting, we're going to have a discussion on it towards the end of here of the program. Yeah. Is this a concern or was it a misdiagnosis? Was it someone being overly cautious? It, it's definitely a concern. I don't, I haven't read any reports saying that he's just like off people's boards, but it, you know, it's definitely a concern. I believe he went to Indianapolis this past week with all the different um prospects who had medical issues to be checked out and i think he checked out okay but i mean once you're over your concussion you're you're okay so i don't know what there is to check you know what i mean so that's what i'm be i would be nervous about it definitely is kind of a high risk high reward move on to number two the eagles pick Wait, you think this is who they're getting? Oh, yeah, because God forbid, you know, we do anything of significance. We're going to take the guy from Michigan. So, yeah, Quiddy Pay from Michigan, 6'2 260 ran a 4'5240 yard dash, 36 reps, uh, 225. And this is, by the way, I just want to throw out that proviso, which I did last week as well. And we've talked about basically all fall, uh, which is pro day 40 times tend to skew fast. So we should take that into consideration for all of these. People. We should each run. Each of us should run a forty. We'll go over to East. It's a turf field. I'll I'll make the trip, and we should go run a forty yard dash pre pre draft. We'll film it. It'll be great. That's a great idea. I think it's fun. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay. <laughs> Anywho, back to Quiddy Pay. Uh, versatile. He's actually played inside. As a three technique, he's even lined up at the nose for Michigan. Plays really great acceleration and pad level. I feel like he needs to refine his pass rush moves a little bit. But to me, I I think his ceiling is really high and just very strong, great athlete. So that's why he's my number two guy there. You have anything? I didn't know if you had anything. No, no, I added in already that that the Eagles are going to pick him. Okay. Number three, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. Not to be confused with Captain Aziz of uh, WWE. That's true. Yes, that's a very good point. Uh, two different people completely. Uh, <laughs> so six two and a quarter, two hundred forty nine pounds. Uh, he ran somewhere. I reports were 
between a 462 and a 466 40 yard dash of these five uh, of my top five edge rushers he's most of the build of the three four outside linebacker rush guy uh doesn't really bend particularly well but has great speed great get off great initial pass rush move once he's able to develop a counter pass rush move i think he really could be good um you know, not amazing against the run. You know, he's not as big, but, you know, I think he very productive and I think, you know, could be very good. I like him. To me, I feel like he'd be great with Pittsburgh. That's the place where I, I've seen him mocked to, and I think that to replace Bud Dupree. So, on to number four, um, former Buccaneer from Blair Academy, Jason Owe from Penn State, 6'5", 257, Ran a 4-3-6 40-yard dash. That's just insane. I mean, that's as freaky as you can get in terms of athleticism. Um, you know, the big thing is he had zero sacks this past year. But if you look closer at the game, he did have a lot of pressures. He did disrupt the passing game. And he did have several sacks last year. He has a great initial punch, but he's got he still needs to refine his game. But you just you can't coach that kind of athleticism. Uh, so to me, I think he's worth it. Number five is Gregory Rousseau from Miami, who I had much higher initially. But, you know, you go back and you really watch how he played. A lot of it was based upon his effort and motor as opposed to complete domination. I mean, he was 6'7", 265, ran. A, and so in 2019, he was tied with um, Chase Young. For the league and for the lead in sacks, he had 15 and a half sacks as a redshirt freshman. But he really so he opted out in 2020. He had a really bad pro day. He just looked slow, looked stiff, just was not good in the positional drills. And you know, a lot of these other guys who opted out, think of like Jamar Chase for a wide receiver, completely killed it on his pro day. So it's kind of like, well, what did you do all year then? So, you know, he's very raw. And he's not as athletic as everyone thought. So to me, his ceiling isn't quite as high, which is why he slid down to number five for me. So I that, think he might even go out and be a second rounder now. I was going to say, I saw a lot of mocks that had him and some pro football focus stuff that had him sitting there in the second round. Is that still kind of still accurate or is he going to slide even further? No, I think he's second round I mean, because he's still 6'7, 265, and he did have 15 and a half sacks. So. I feel like he's still going to go at minimum the second round. It, it still might be tail end of the first. Moving on to the inside, the defensive tackles. Who do you have slotted there? You're one through five. So I, I just want to say generally, the defensive tackles, I'm not as high on them as other people are, particularly the top two guys. I don't have any tackle defensive tackles on my board who go in the first round. But I do think one or two will. So I just wanted to say that. My number one tackle is Christian Barmore from Alabama, 6'4", 310. Ran a 4.93 to 4.95 40-yard dash. Had eight sacks this year. Finally was able to play as a starter. You know how Alabama, they're just, there's always, it's the next guy up, right? Um, To me, I don't like, I think he plays a bit high. I don't like his pad level. To me, that's an issue. That sometimes is that 
a technique issue? Is that a conditioning issue? Because the more you're tired, the more you're going to stand up. So I don't know about that. But, you know, he is, he definitely, and he also got better throughout the year. So uh, supposedly NFL teams are really high on him. So I wouldn't be shocked if he goes first round. So number two guy is Levi Unwuzawerki, uh from Washington. He's 6'3", 288, ran a 4.85 40-yard dash. I mean, it's like I don't know what to believe because every pro day these numbers are just insane. That's a uh, that I just I had the mic mute, but I just said, "Wow, that's a, yeah. that's a loader right there." Yeah. Now I ran a four nine forty. I mean, look at it though. I mean, he's two eighty eight, so he's a little bit undersized. He had seven sacks. He's that disruptive, penetrating three technique. Um, impressive first step, but I think he, you know, his game overall to me lacks a little bit of refinement. And the thing that I worry about, I think of like um, Ed Oliver from who plays now in, in Buffalo. He was kind of considered the next Aaron Donald, it, and it, but if you looked at his numbers workout wise, they didn't, they weren't quite Aaron Donald, and obviously he hasn't been Aaron Donald. And to me, I worry that Levi is kind of of that ilk. To compare someone to Aaron Donald, though, like, and I get the comparison, but like, that's comparing someone to Reggie White or Lawrence Taylor. You're talking, no, I get it, but Ed Oliver was a like literally the number one recruit in yeah. the nation, and uh, you know, yeah. chose to stay home, and it was like a huge deal, and he was really good. So that's you know, that's my only thing that I. But nevertheless, look, if you turn out to be the next Geno Atkins, that's a damn good player too. So, uh, I you know, I I think he, he's and. Um, he could go tail end of the first round. He's at minimum uh second round player. Uh, number three for me is Davian Nixon from Iowa. Kind of similar to Levi uh A little bit bigger though. 6'3, 305, has great initial quickness. His thing is he was kind of a one-year wonder. He was a JUCO player, ran a 4940. I mean, again, this guy's just moving. It's weird. As a 305-pound player, he's not very stout. And then, like, people are listening, like, how is a 300-pound man not stout? Although Mike and I, we've seen, he doesn't have big, he doesn't have tree trunk legs, so you worry that he's going to get moved around uh, a little bit. And I think he has to improve his run defense game. Uh, number four for me is Marlon Tui Pelotu from USC. 6'1", three, uh, three quarters, 308 pounds. He's a three-year starter at USC, really good quickness. Leverage, good use of hands, had a really good senior bowl week. So not only does he have the traits, he showed them against other top talent at the senior bowl. And to me, I, I always put a lot of faith into defensive linemen that do well in the senior bowl. So that's why I have him as my number four guy. I agree. I agree with you there. Like you can do well throughout the whole season, but when you're in that senior bowl environment, more yeah. so than the skill guys, that's a huge test. Yeah. So uh, number five guy is Tommy Togiai from Ohio State, 6'2", 300 pounds. It's really cool. He actually raised money for charity for his bench press at his pro day. He was trying to break the Ohio State record. He didn't, but he did manage to get 40 reps at 225, which that's pretty, what's the record? Supposedly at Ohio State, it's 50. By who? I don't know by who. I don't uh, know. We'll have to find out. We'll take a look later. Yeah, uh, Leon White. Probably, but he didn't go there. He went to Colorado. He didn't go there. Yeah. Uh, 
Very stout against the run as a three technique, but he's too small to play as a nose tackle. He relies on bull rush, uh, but he could collapse a pocket. And if he could just put together a few pass rush moves to his arsenal, I think he could be a very solid starting defensive tackle for a team. Eagles fans are going to perk up now as we are going to linebacker. And uh, every year it seems as though the Eagles uh, Eagles fans say linebacker first round uh, this year. There might be a guy there. We'll we'll figure that out in a couple of weeks with our mock draft. But uh, let's get to it. So in general, I'll tell you the linebacker class. I have four linebackers with a first round grade, um, and all four really interesting guys. Really good. Number one, you know, uh, sort of like old school, a Penn State linebacker as the number one guy, Micah Parsons, six three two forty five, ran a four three nine forty. Uh, look, he was a five-star recruit. Come, I believe he was out of the Harrisburg area, if, I'm, if memory serves me correct. Elite athleticism, sideline to sideline, three-down linebacker, great closing burst. Once he diagnoses the play, watch out. Also shown really good pass rushing skills. So you could actually put him as a designated pass rusher on, on pass downs. Uh, you know, he he's, not, he, he's good in coverage and... Would you answer the phone? It, look, it's one of our fans trying to get uh, in. I know. We don't yeah. have Colin feature just yet. We're getting there. Don't worry about yeah. it. And can imp- he can improve the ball skills and coverage. That's the one thing I think he can work on. The other thing with him is there are some red flags off the field. There, you know, yeah. He was suspended for a game. He was also part of the lawsuit regarding hazing. Uh, you know, there's look, there's always weird stuff going on at Penn State. So... You know, but for all, from what I hear, he loves football. But it, it does make you a little nervous because there's been articles lately who they liken him to Odell Beckham. I don't know if you want that. Then again, you know, the Giants took a linebacker who was a little crazy himself and it worked out. Right. Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. But again, that was a different era. Yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where he he goes. Uh, we are gonna have on Sports Talk Philly a little piece on Micah Parsons and kind of just what you discussed, some of the off field things and if it could hold him back. Who do you got number two? Number two is Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa from Notre Dame, 6'1", 221. Didn't run a forty at his pro day, but if you saw his short shuttle and three cone numbers were elite. I don't know why he didn't run the forty, which to me is a little strange. Uh, just tremendous athleticism all over the field. Really good against the runner, pass coverage. He sometimes gets lost in the shuffle because he, lit- he literally played this year at like 210. And that's why a lot of people actually, they don't, some people don't even group him as a linebacker. They just say he's Jamal Adams. Just let him go roam the field, blitz, do whatever. I got to tell you, if you're going to say, okay, well, he's Jamal Adams, that's a top 20 pick. So, a lot of people have him mocked to uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. I, I think he he's definitely a first-round pick to me. I uh, really like him. So, number three, Jameen Davis from Kentucky, 6'3", 234. This, he's probably one of the fastest rising prospects right now On you know with all the different draft analysts. Ran a 4.37 40-yard dash. Hasn't had a ton of playing time. Only was a one-year starter at Kentucky. Again, sideline to sideline. And that's what you're seeing – the evolution of the game, it's all about speed. Um, you know, at this stage of his development, he excels more going downhill as compared with pass coverage. 
but he's not a liability there. He's probably best suited as a 3-4 inside linebacker. But nevertheless, could probably, you know, I think he would still do well uh, in a 4-3. Number four, Zavin Collins. This guy's a freak. 6'4", 259-pound two, linebacker. That's a, yeah. That's okay. a big man. Yeah. Who Are we forced, talking 3-4 guy? The four, um, kind of a, he, he's honestly, he's played in all the different defense. So he, he comes in, I mean, he's, he even stays in in the nickel, but I think they run a four, three over in Tulsa. So, you know, ran a four, six, seven, 40, which I mean, that may not be blazing, blazing, but that's still good. Uh, tremendous, again, tremendous size for the position, uh, three year starter and has just been a cornerstone for that defense all three years. Has great instincts, good technique and coverage. Uh, you know, sometimes I think like the elite of the elite athletes might cause a little bit, bit of a problem because once he gets going, it's kind of a little hard for him to stop. Uh, the reason I put uh, Davis over Collins was simply the speed. I feel like he has a little bit of a higher ceiling, though Zaven Collins probably has a higher floor. Uh, and lastly, Nick Bolton from Missouri. Six feet two thirty-two, ran a four six forty. Um, I would if, if this guy was twelve pounds heavier, I would love him as a middle linebacker. I think he just needs to get a little bit bigger or a little bit stronger to be more stout against the run. But he is nasty. He when he hits you, he wants to hurt you. Um, but he just got has to work on getting off blocks. But you know, great pursuit, uh, more of a sideline to sideline guy as opposed to a downhill penetrator. But I think, you know, for a second round, maybe late late second round, early third round, great pick. So which Move, which group you want next? Moving on to the outside, let's go to the cornerbacks. I think there's a lot of interest here on the cornerbacks in the NFC East. So let's get to that. Yeah. And so my top two guys, it's funny because, you know, their fathers were great. Uh, so number one for me is Patrick Sertan II uh, from Alabama. As the name would suggest, he's the son of Patrick Sertan. Uh, 6'2", 208, four, I ran a four four two forty. He was a three-year start at Alabama. Like he, to me, like some of the Alabama Alabama cornerbacks have not worked out. To me, I think he exhibits more true football technique than those guys. And by that, I mean like, uh, you know, there was Drake Kirkpatrick and um, there was Dean Milner who was, didn't work out with the Jets. I mean, Sertan, he's, you know, his father played the position at an elite level. And he, you can tell he's just a son. He knows what he's doing. There's just that you, you can see he's excellent at press coverage, has fluid hips, really good ball skills. He's a willing run defender, great closing speed, just has great instincts. Uh, number two is J.C. Horn from South Carolina, who is the son of, Joe Horn. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, who I can't, who giant fans hate Joe Horn. Does he have a cell phone in his back pocket? Exactly. I can't, that the, that move still pisses me off to this day. Um, but so the difference between some, you know, there there is a, you know, a good debate going on as to whether you have, you know, Sertan or Horn at, uh, you know, who's number one, who's number two. I have Sertan. I think he's smoother. I think he's more steady Eddie almost where JC horns up and down has a little bit more moxie, but sometimes he can get beat six feet, uh, two Oh five ran a four, three, nine at a 41 inch vertical 
elite quickness, great hips, great at tracking the pass, has great ball skills, gives great effort defending the run. But again, it's just his play is a little bit more up and down. So his highs might even be better than Sertan, but there's some lows. And he had a few poor performances against elite SEC wide receivers, namely Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith. He kind of got eaten up. So, you know, the tape sometimes doesn't lie. Uh, number three, and this guy's sort of a lightning rod for a lot of different reasons. Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. So 6'2", 207. He was alleged to have run a 4'2", 840-yard dash while working out somewhere this winter. He was actually the first player to opt out of the 2020 season uh, for Division I FBS. And he was fairly new to the position in 2019. He's the most raw of these top guys. But if healthy, and we're going to get to that in a second, and, you know, after some time getting coached up, might even have the highest ceiling. So he's elite physicality and coverage skills. His instincts, though, just run so hot and cold. You don't know because he needs to learn the position. His thing is he recently had a microdiscectomy uh, in his upper back, and it's his third back operation. So he went to Indianapolis, and supposedly he's been cleared, but there's some debate as to whether it's for training camp or like he will play at some point this upcoming year. And and the the back is always a problem. What, exactly. Just the problem. Exactly. But if, you know, this wasn't a fusion, it was literally, I think a discectomy is when you take out a little fragment. So, again, not the most major of surgeries. And if he's able to come out of it okay, I think you have a great player. Uh, so, moving on, number four, Greg Newsom, the second. Um, obviously, his father is Greg Newsom, though I don't think he played in the pros. <laughs> He's uh, played for Northwestern, six feet, 192, ran a 4.38 40-yard dash, which was actually really surprising because that speed didn't show up on tape. And you know, we've you've seen that throughout the years, guys who just run these amazing 40s, and you're like, where did that come from? You just don't see it. Um, but nevertheless, he's very feisty, can play bump and runner zone, um, you know, Northwestern this year had an excellent defense, and he was one of the best players on that defense. I th- I see him going the tail end of the first round. And lastly, Eric Stokes from Georgia, 6'1", 185. He supposedly ran a 4.25, anywhere between a 4.25 and a 4.28 40-yard dash. Uh, just super speedy. He is a slot corner. He's – I was actually amazed he was – he. Uh, Measured 6-1. I thought for sure he was like a 5-9, guy. Uh, but nevertheless, to me, I think he is yeah, will be a premier slot corner. Some people have him rated lower because he's just a slot corner. But to me, in today's NFL, that's super important. How many times are we, you know, our offense yeah, is running team, three receivers? Right. Teams are in the nickel more often than not. Yeah. So that's why he's, you know, I, I have him my number one slot corner, and my fifth overall corner. Interesting name not there, Asante Samuel. He's he's literally number six. Right. I mean, this is a really deep cornerback. I, I was I was arguing with myself, like, all right, do I put Asante in as number five or Stokes? It was that close. Either way, I see both of them going in the second round. 
Yeah, it's, uh, as an Eagles fan, I would like the Eagles to obviously uh, fix up some defensive stuff. One of them is corner, and I'm hoping that in the second round these guys are there. I like Greg Newsom too. I'm a fan. Uh, what do you got at safety? Safety, uh, I got to tell you, not overall, not the best safety class. Uh, only one guy with a first-round grade, then a bunch of like third- and fourth-round grades. Uh, number one guy is Trevon Morig at, uh, from TCU, 6 feet 202, ran a 4-5-40, though supposedly he did it with back spasms. This guy just has – he is just that true, you know, center fielder, has elite in, uh, instinctiveness, great ball skills. He just always knows where to be. Uh, also, solid tacker, tackler, physical, plays with a great effort. Um, really like the guy. A lot of people think he's going to end up at Jacksonville, with Jacksonville's second pick. Uh, number two for me is Jamar Johnson from Indiana. 6'2", 205, ran a 4.5840. Very good instincts, very good against the run, physical. To me, this guy should be drafted just if you watch the tape. He's one of the reasons that Justin Fields is dropping so much. He made Justin Fields look bad in the second half of Indiana's game against Ohio State. Number three, Talanoa Hufanga from USC. 6'1", 215, ran a 4'6", So maybe a little slow, but really good open field tackler. Very good at, at zone coverage. Uh, just a leader on that defense. And, you know, it's sort of like steady Eddie. Some, a little bit more of an old school safety. I think I'm a little bit higher on him than others because of the lack of speed. Uh, but to me, I just like the instincts and the tackling ability. Uh, number four, also one of my favorite names in the draft, Divine Diablo uh, from Virginia Tech. 6'3", 226 pounds. Um, I kind of liken him to a faster but slightly less physical Cam Chancellor. So, Because that size, you don't see that any that much anymore at safety, but ran a 4-4-2, somewhere between a 4-4-2 and a 4-4-5, 40-yard dash. He's a, but he's just that throwback, strong safety. Uh, he's effective in coverage so long as he's zoned and he's facing the quarterback. Once he has his back to the quarterback, though, he's exposed. That's the one issue. Uh, and then lastly, Andre Sisco from Syracuse, 6'1", 209, had an ACL injury this past season. Went healthy, explosive, aggressive. He is a boomer bust. If he can develop the way some people believe, he may be the best safety in the entire draft class. But then some people think he's probably just a six-round pick and a special teamer. So to be determined. We are going to have our mock draft show coming up. We're going to do the first three rounds. So keep an eye out for that. Sticking in the college ranks as we hit our two-minute warning Quick rundown of section of two. We are section 247's the goal. I said 247 sports top 10 rankings in the recruiting world, uh, composite rankings. So that's taking a whole bunch of stuff, mixing it together. Number 10, the Florida State. This is as of right now, Florida yeah. State Seminoles. Number nine, the Texas Fighting Kyle Floods. How that man weaseled his way into a recruiting role. Uh, a coordinator role at Texas is unbelievable. Number eight, the Oklahoma Sooners. Number seven, Penn State Mitney Lions. Number six. Yeah, who's number six? The Rutgers Scarlet Knights. <laughs> I, I mean, and look, people are going to say, yeah, it's early on. 
that that's that this isn't going to change very much come come the beginning of the year. So Rutgers number six in the recruiting rankings, number five, Texas AM, number four, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, number three, LSU, number two, the Ohio State University, and number one, Georgia. So Rutgers has a better recruiting class than Alabama right now. Rutgers has a better recruiting class in Alabama. Rutgers has a better recruiting class than Penn State. Uh, they're sitting. They're sitting behind Ohio State in the Big Ten, which a lot of teams do. So yeah. you know, we're going to keep an eye on this weekly. Uh, we'll finish this up here. Jadavian Clowney lands himself in Cleveland. I feel like he's just going to be a hired gun, like Zach Mesner, for the next uh, you know couple years. First time ever that two players picked number one in the draft are on the same position on the same team. Yeah, him and Miles Garrett. Uh, look, he doesn't show up in the stats. I do think he affects plays. I think he's better than his stats suggest. Well, but he can never stay healthy for a whole season. That's the problem. Yeah, so it, look, it, it's going to be one of those things to watch. What we got coming up Monday, 8 a.m., the license play guy joins you for a sit-down interview. We'll look forward to that. We'll be back next week to talk more draft. Get ready for the draft to talk more football. Until then, stay safe. And, uh, hey, go somebody. I'm Mike. That's Brett. We'll see you later.